Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, let's read that one. And the Lord repented of the evil which he had thought to do unto his people, or... He changed his mind based on the prayer of Moses. I want to speak for just a few moments here this morning on motivated for his glory. Motivated for his glory. Lord, we thank you and praise you today. We thank you for your blessing and your goodness. And we ask that you would direct us today in Jesus' name from your word. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the Word of God here today. What is your motivation? A motivation is the reason for acting in a certain way. That's motivation. And that is a simple definition. It really boils down to wanting something. And so based on what you want, you pursue a course of action. We may want a behavior, a change in Behavior. We want, may want to change in thoughts and feelings, self-concept, environment, and relationships. And if we're motivated, it will have an impact on our actions and what we do. Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily daily people say well it's just a it's just a temporary thing they're motivated to do something it's a temporary thing there's a lot of things that are temporary motivation is a key component in our human experience there are different types of motivation just for sake of introduction here this morning there's intrinsic motivation children run jump and chase each other simply for the sheer fun of it as you get older it's not so much fun so you have to find other motivations but you watch children on a playground they enjoy intrinsic motivation some have a personal challenge so there is a flow to that type of motivation they want to get into a zone when their pursuits optimally challenge their skills they want to raise the bar we could talk about ultra marathon runners and athletes. They want to raise the bar. They want to challenge themselves. That is a flow <clears throat> motivation. Sometimes there's external regulation that motivates us. If there's a coach, a mentor, there is somebody that is pushing you, speaking into your ear. You're doing what you're doing because you're externally motivated. Sometimes it might be a goal. You might want to accomplish a goal. And so you reach for that. 
Your action reveals your motivation. Some, it's by inspiration. They want to change themselves and they want to help others do the same. Some, it's competence. They are motivated to be more competent, to have progress. To some, it could be opponent process. There's a lot of types of motivations because we are a people that are multifaceted. Amen. Relatedness. Sometimes a social gathering, a relationship established and working on that is reason for motivation. So there's a lot of motivations and different types of motivation. But here today in the house of God, I want to talk about a motivation for his glory. Amen. Motivation for God's glory. Motivation for glory, but not my glory, but motivation for God's glory. And in the Old Testament, we find that that kind of motivation for God's glory, it defined itself in the Old Testament by a passion for God's honor. The entire Old Testament, the motivation for God's glory is to have a passion for God's honor. That God will not be disenfranchised. That God will not be limited. That God will not be uh, viewed in a negative sense. And there were individuals that fought for God's honor. As a matter of fact, our text, we read where Moses is defending God's honor. This is a, a high water mark in the Old Testament that describes this. The children of Israel have been led out of Egypt with a strong and mighty hand, says Moses. And then they, they, they create a golden calf when Moses is gone up in the mountain and he's spending time with God and he comes down and there's a golden calf and they are dancing and worshiping and he throws down the tablets of stone and God is angry and he tells Moses, I'm going to wipe out this people that I have called. And Moses defends God's honor. He is motivated for God's glory. He defends God's honor by saying, if you do this thing, God, it's only going to give the enemy firepower and justification that you brought them out here and tricked them and manipulated them to die. And he said, you, you cannot do this because your honor will not allow this. You're a God that has promised them great things. Don't give the enemy the ability to say we told you so but provide to the enemy that God is a God that is true to his promise and he's honorable based upon what he promised and he defends God's honor against the naysayer. I've got something in my spirit here today that is an inspiration to say in the face of doubt and fear and whatever else, God's an honorable God. If he promised it in his word, he is true to it and he is well able to accomplish what he has promised. Amen. Amen. I almost got completely thrown off my message here today because Brother Brian Perry sitting on the right-hand side and not on the left-hand side. Lord, have mercy. I got a drink for that. You're messing with me this morning here. 
Amen. God is a God that, I'm just being facetious. God is a God that is honorable. What in the world now? I'm really thrown off because Sister Perry, it's on the other side. Is there something we need to discuss or is everything okay? It's all right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Praise God. Clap your hands for that. I'm thankful. Praise God. Revival. Amen. I'm sure that you are here because you are uh, being hospitable to a guest, and we welcome you today in the house of God. Amen. God is good to us. Praise God. <clears throat> this is a watershed crisis, and Moses defends God. He pleads for God's honor. The second watershed crisis in the Old Testament as it relates to Moses is when they go into the promised land. He sends out 10 spies to go into the promised land. And they go into the promised land and they come back. Eight of them come back with a negative report. Eight of them I like to call come back with grasshopper mentality. They said, we are, we are but grasshoppers in their sight. They're too big. They're, there's giants in the land. They're too fortified. The walls are too high, too structured. There's, I mean, we're, we're people coming out of Egyptian bondage, and we've wandered around in the desert for 40 years, and now we've crossed over Jordan, and, and, and we're spying out the land. And there, there's no way that we can accomplish this. But there was two by the name of Joshua and Caleb that said, we are well able to overtake this land because our God is greater than the gods of the lands in which we are coming into that God has promised us. We don't have grasshopper mentality. God is able. And yet there were eight that had a mentality, a motivation that produced an action. Listen, if you serve God that way, your God's going to be insignificant because you're always going to see the obstacles around you that are insurmountable. You got to get something in your mentality and in your head that says, I don't care what the obstacles are. God's a God that is greater and he's well able to do above and beyond what I could even think or ask. I know it may look dark and it may look like a dark night, but revival is coming and a light is shining in the darkness. And I believe that God is able. And so Moses prayed in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 13. He prayed again and he prayed. He prayed unto the Lord. Then the Egyptians shall hear it for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all his people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. So being motivated for God's glory in the Old Testament was to defend his honor. God, you can't do this because you're a great God. 
And you did not bring the people out here to just leave them, but you're a God that is going to be faithful to your word. The Old Testament defending God's honor was the motivation for glory. They had seen and they had, it was established that God was amazing at what he was able to do. He led us out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. He provided to us nutrients in the desert. He brought rock out of the water. There is no way possible we're going to listen to any negative report because we believe that God is able. We're going to defend his honor. I'm telling you, it's the same way today. There's a lot of voices that speak negativity about your walk with God and what God is able to do. But I'm so thankful here today that we sang a song that said we still serve a miracle working God. He is still able to do signs, miracles, and wonders. His power has not been diminished or limited, but he's still a king that is on the throne. If you feel that way today, I want you to clap your hands and say our God is still still able. Amen. He's still able. Joshua at the defeat of Ai, you remember they took Jericho, the walls fell down, tremendous victory. They marched around the walls, they blew the trumpets, they shouted and walls came down. And then they found themselves facing a small little outpost by the name of Ai. And they were defeated, soundly they were defeated. <clears throat> and in that case, Joshua pleads with God because of Achan. Achan brings into his tent some bars of gold and some Babylonian garments that he was not supposed to touch, buries them in his tent. This is the reason why they are not victorious. And Joshua comes to God and Joshua chapter 7 and verse number 9, and he says this, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? If, God, if they crush us, what about your great name? If they defeat us, what about your power and your ability? We are defending. Sister Short, it's good to see you in the house of God today. It's been a long time. Praise God. What about God's name? We're going to, we're going to defend God's name because we can't let it be said that God left them out here and destroyed them. Joshua said in chapter 7 and verse number 9, What wilt thou do unto thy great name in the old testament it was defending god's honor first samuel chapter 12 and verse 22 when samuel was worried about the fact that the people were asking for a king he said for the lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it hath pleased the lord to make you his people i'm going to defend god's honor when we read about David and Goliath, we find that Goliath is trying his very best to downplay and to scoff at God's ability. But David said, you come to me with spear and a sword, 
but I come to you in the name of the Lord. You, you can call me a ruddy runt, a worm. You can call me whatever you want to call me and look down narrowly upon me because I may not be as big as your stature, but I'm going to defend the honor of his name. I may be small in stature, but there's a name that is walking with me that is greater than you are. And so I'm coming at you, not in my own power, not in my own ability, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. I'm going to defend his honor. And so no matter what giant may come before me, I'm going to walk and face that obstacle knowing that there is a name that is great and that will give me the victory. Can I tell somebody, you need to go to the giant that you're facing and stop worrying about your inadequacies and speak the name of the Lord and say his name is powerful, his name is great his name is well able I don't care what the evil report is I don't care initially what the doctors say they are practicing physicians but I know that there is one who is a great physician so I'm not going to listen to the negativity I'm going to defend God's honor amen Daniel risked his life he risked his life when he declared to Belshazzar that he had desecrated the sacred vessels of the temple. Belshazzar, the Babylonian king that was so bored with his partying that he asked to bring out all of the cups and equipment that they had taken from Jerusalem and the temple into Babylon and he decided to have a celebration and so he asked for the vessels to be brought and Daniel was brought before Belshazzar because in that moment in that palace there's a hand that writes on the wall and it so frightens Belshazzar that he calls for He wants Daniel to come and interpret this hand that is writing on the wall. Daniel knows if I give the interpretation, I, it's very possible I'm not going to be very popular. But I'm not here because of popularity. I'm here because I'm a servant to the king of kings and not the king of Babylon. And so he steps into the palace and he says this. Once you listen very close to what he says. O thou and thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines and have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written, 
And this is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tikal, eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You are not going to disgrace God's honor. You have brought the vessels and you've partied with them. And I may lose my life for telling you the interpretation, but I'm going to defend God's honor. What things are holy should be holy. You don't desecrate them. You don't tear them down. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Go ahead and mock somebody that's receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But know this, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That judgment's going to boomerang back on you because you can't mock and you can't make fun of a God and his honor and his name. And all through the New T Old Testament, we found individuals that were willing to take a stand for God's honor. Joseph was betrayed, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned for over a period of 13 years. 13 years before he was elevated as the visor of Egypt. Moses defended God's honor. Felt that he was ready to lead at 40 but he ended up tending sheep in the desert for another 40 years, 40 years. But he defended God's honor. Joshua was Moses' apprentice as a youth and had to watch his entire generation die off during 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And he was set for the defense of God's honor despite that. David, after being anointed by Samuel, Received not a crown, but 15 years. He was a fugitive trying to escape a madman. A total of 22 years before he was crowned as undisputed king of Israel. But David always, always defended God's honor. It was his motivation. My motivation is for God's glory. Nehemiah. Faced broken walls, burned gates, determined enemies, threats of physical violence, demoralized workforce, internal dissension, and he was posed with grave personal danger. But Nehemiah said, I'll hold a weapon in one hand and a shovel in another hand. We are going to build these walls again because it's for God's honor. Daniel faced a lion's den and his friends in a burning furnace. But they had an attitude that said, we're going to defend God's honor. In the Old Testament, it was defending God's honor. As redemption history reached its goal in Jesus Christ, the ceremonies of the Old Covenant completed their course, and Jesus changed the operation of motivation for his glory to be defined by something different. It was going to be defined by an interior life. It was going to be defined by matters of the heart. 
and he penetrated as a surgeon and got into not only the actions of what you're doing, but the motivations of why you are doing it. And that was the seminal question. It's not enough to do the right thing, even if you have a stable and growing character. But what I want to know, are you regularly assessing why you are doing what you are doing? Is it for self-serving to attract praise from peers? Or is it a grateful heart that is attuned to the glory of God? I want my heart condition to be right. I didn't come here today with any motivation other than to experience his glory. I'm not necessarily defending his glory, although I'll do that. But I want my heart to be right. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit in me. I'm lifting up my hands today because I'm assessing where I am. I want to be saved. I want my spirit to be right. Jesus changed the definition of how to defend his honor. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 2, he told those that were listening, when you do your alms, don't sound a trumpet, trumpet before thee as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets. They do that that they may have glory of men. Their motivation is to be glorified by men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. We shouldn't do what we do because we're worried about or, or, or motivated because of what we want people to perceive us. We should do it because we love God and our heart is right with God. We're not moving levers and manipulating things and trying to produce actions but we've come to the house of God to strip away all of the facade and the barriers that are around our heart and we're willing to say God do an operation on my heart I don't care who sees I don't need a trumpet blowing on a corner so that people know I've come to praise God that's not significant what is significant is I want my spirit to be right I want to be sensitive to you I want to live right I want to recognize that everybody has an opportunity to receive your salvation and your mercy we need to lift our hands right now and ask God God help us hallelujah help us make sure help us to be sensitive to your ability and your anointing and your hand Jesus went on to say, when you pray, don't pray standing in the synagogues in the corner of the streets that people can see you. You'll have your reward. But enter into your closet, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father, which is in secret, and he shall reward thee openly. Don't use vain rep repetitions, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Jesus changed the notion to checking your motives internally. Paul, Paul desired for the day in which God would appear. See, it gets really complex <laughs> because humanity 
Humanity has a way of trying to manipulate what they want in order to produce certain actions. And so sometimes you're wondering why an individual acts the way that they're acting because you're really not sure what their motivations are. There are people that I know that make me uncomfortable when they get too nice all of a sudden because their natural tendency is not to be nice. And then all of a sudden they're real nice and ooey gooey and happy and I'm wondering, what is your motivation? What's going on? I'd rather you be ugly and I know what you're doing than to be all happy and nice and not know what you're doing. Because it seems like you're manipulating, you're, you're, you're wanting to manipulate things to produce an action. Jesus was saying, the new covenant is not just about defending God's honor, but it's God's honor, God's glory coming and doing an operation on the inside of a person. Because a person can defend God's honor and his heart not be right. You can defend God's honor with action and your heart not be right. And in the Old Testament, there were cases of individuals that were doing the right thing, but for the wrong motivations. And Jesus said, the glory that you're defending in the new covenant is my spirit is going to allow you to check your motivations. Paul looked for that day in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Paul looked for a day in which God is going to judge the actual motivations of a person's spiritual condition. Comparing myself to others means nothing and can get me in great, great trouble. Let me just say right here, don't compare yourself with other people. That's the wrong motivation. It's not bringing glory to God. It's bringing glory to yourself and comparing yourself with other people. That's not of God. Compare yourself to the presence of God in your life. God wants you to be you, not somebody else. Don't try to make everybody else you and don't try to be what everybody else is. God created you to be you. Rather, let there be a holy ambition. Seize the day of opportunity to promote God's kingdom. I was born into this world for such a time as this. I'm motivated not by the political spectrum. I don't even care. God's a sovereign God and his kingdom supersedes everything else. My first priority is not to governments and political parties. My first priority is to the kingdom of God. Now below that, we can have discussions, but I'm not going to let that flip until my mind and my mentality is thrown by what's happening around me in an environment. You know why? Because I serve a God that has a greater kingdom and he's a 
sovereign God and he's got a greater spirit and anointing. You don't know what they're doing behind the scenes anyway, but God knows what he's doing and I know what he's doing and I want to be established in that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I want to be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing that the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men and women. That's, that's all humanity. That's a universal statement. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. I want to be made manifest before God. I want my, my spirit to be right. You, you, you got to be very, very careful. You don't let something get in your spirit and sour your existence in the rule and kingdom of God. You get something in your spirit that limits your effectiveness in the kingdom of God and you've allowed something to enter in that is now conflicting with what God has called you to be. If you've got odds with somebody, you need to get over it because the kingdom of God is greater than your small, insignificant little problem. God's kingdom is greater than that. You don't know the, the motivations that are behind everybody, so stop trying to figure it out. Say, God, I want to be right. I want to stand before you right. I don't know what anybody else is doing, but I want to serve you in a kingdom that is a rule that is greater than the rule of this world. Want my spirit right? Want my heart right? Want my attitude right? Peter had to learn this. Peter was the one that always provided the action. He provided defending God's honor in the wrong way. And he had to learn. This is an internal thing, Peter. You, you can't tell the Lord he doesn't know what he's doing. The action to defend God's honor produces Jesus turning around and saying, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things that are of God. Peter, you've got to learn. This is a heart thing. You don't grab a sword and chop off Malchus's ear. You're defending God's honor, but a new covenant is not about chopping off people's ears or heads. And besides that, you're a fisherman. What are you doing with the sword? You have no idea what you're doing with it. And Peter, he learns he learns, he learns, he learns. At some point in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I'm going to defend God's glory and God's honor. I'm going to defend it by having a ready mind, being an example, letting the chief shepherd direct me. Praise God. Did you just get off work? You're on lunch. You came here for lunch? 
Are you serious? How long's your lunch break? How long's your lunch break? As long as you need. Well, praise God. So he came for lunch break to be in the house of God for a few moments. We need, that's a great example, Brother Philip Bustamante. Thank you. I like to see that. Some, every once in a while, UPS workers come in right off a truck, come wandering in here right at the end of a service. 15 minutes of a service is better than no service at all. And we want anybody to know that you can come in at any time. Amen. At any time. Peter, Peter learned that it's, it's, it's not about doing the right action with, without the proper motivation, intrinsic, internal motivation. How do you do that? How do you do that? How, how, how has it become defending God, motivated for God's glory? How, do you, how does it become not just an action, but it becomes an intrinsic, internal thing? How? How do I act with initiative and boldness and yet at the same time not get paralyzed by morbid introspection? You know, there's some people, and, and they may be less in terms of the, of the percentages, but the message that Brother Wesley Jackson preached really touched on it. Some people get morbidly introspective to the point they don't think they can be used of God. Because I've, 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 I'm too much of a failure. I've, I've made too many mistakes. And, and, and so they're paralyzed. They can't really step out in the calling that God has for them because they feel inadequate. How, how, do, you do, how do you do this? How do you act with boldness and not introspection and not second-guessing hidden motivations? We need to pray about hidden motivations. Praise God. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is there a hidden motivation behind what I am doing? You, you know how you do that? You do that with ruthless honesty. Ruthless honesty. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh, tell them ruthless. Ruthless honesty. You have, to, you have to expose yourself to the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There has to be a ruthless honesty and the word daily. There has to be daily surgery in prayer. God, search my hearts, my heart and my thoughts. Amen. Peter and John, Peter is the one that gave us the verse about checking your motives. Three years of training, and then Jesus said, the enemy is going to try to sift you as wheat. You're going to go through some circumstances, and you're going to have to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. Paul spent nearly a decade, 10 years in Arabia, then in Tarsus, 10 years, 10 years before Barnabas rescued him from obscurity. Paul didn't, he, he, he spent some time in his own desert examining his heart. Psalm 19 and verse 14 said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let my motivations 
be acceptable in your sight for you are my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 51, this is the famous prayer of David. In verse number six, he said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This put Jesus on a collision course with the Pharisees. They, they squabbled over just about every action. And Jesus' principal point is you're doing the actions, but you're not motivated. Your, your motivation is incorrect. It's not coming from your heart. You're doing the Sabbath. You're fasting. You're doing the ritual washings. You're tithing. But somehow there's this firewall between God and the soul and the heart of an individual. A firewall. In technology, they set up firewalls so that your systems cannot be penetrated. Viruses and things like this. So there's got to be a firewall. It's kind of like a fire break. If a fire is coming, there needs to be a fire break so that it can't spread. And between Jesus and the Pharisees, it was like a firewall that the true motivation of what Jesus was wanting to do couldn't break through the wall, the barrier that they had built up. Their motivation was wrong. They were motivated for God's glory. They were taking action that God couldn't penetrate into their heart to where the right motivation matched the glory they were trying to exemplify. It's the same way with us. We need to be careful. We don't just come sit on a pew, sing, play, involved in ministry, and our heart's not where it needs to be. And in the house of God today, God is calling each and every one of us to examine the internal condition of our heart rather than there being a firewall. I want there to be an openness and a penetrating power of the word of God in my life. Praise God. I don't want there to be anything that would stop or conflict. Hallelujah. That would stop a move of his spirit and his anointing. There should be careful attention as we stand in the house of God today to one's heart motivation. Hallelujah. That will prevent us from being a leader and a work, a, a person that is involved in the work of God. There are some pitfalls that will be in our way. If all we're thinking about is the action but not the motivation. This is where personal reputation comes in. This is where status comes in. This is where image comes in. Popularity and recognition and vocational success is defined by prevailing culture instead of working for the kingdom of God and not my own kingdom, not my own self. I should stand today before you with the same cry of John that said, he must increase I must decrease. John recognized in his prophetic role, it's not about me, but it's about the one that's coming after me. Oh, my, 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 there have been times when I need to find an altar somewhere and say, God, what I'm doing, you, you can get so caught up in ministry that your heart cannot be right. I'm involved in the action, the action, the action, the action. But sometimes you need to pull yourself away and find a closet and say, God, examine my heart. The
internal action of why I'm doing what I'm doing because I, I, want, I want that to be right above everything else. I want to stand before him and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy. You know, there's some things I just have to stake to the cross. I got to stake it to the cross. The wise man said it this way. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life. The wellspring of life. You know why you're not happy? It's because you're not keeping your heart with all diligence. You know why you step into this building and it looks like you're under a weight of doom and gloom? It's because your heart is not kept with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. God needs to change the motivation in what you are doing and turn it around to a motivation of his glory and honor. If I operated as your pastor with every single little thing that I'm upset with and things that you have said, I wouldn't be able to come in here and preach like I'm preaching. I got a short-term memory. I told Brother Kaufman here today as someone walked out of the building when they came and they asked, do you need anything? Is there anything I can get you? And they walked away. I said, Brother Kaufman, it's really, really good to have a short-term menu, a memory, because some people, they're going to have mistakes and failures, and they're going to have struggles. But if, if you've got a memory that keeps track and inventory of every little wrong, you're going to have a heart condition that is messed up, and you're not going to be an individual that understands the kingdom. The kingdom is about saying, get up, get up, wash off your knees and your face, get your head up, stop walking around with with a doom and gloom attitude. Everybody knows you're not praising God the same way. You're not praying the same way. You're not worshiping the same way because your heart is not in the right condition. Get it right with God. Find an altar and I'll be standing with you when you walk out. I'll defend you because I forget. Do you remember so and so and what they did? My That was, a, that was terrible, wasn't it? Well, I, I remember something You know why I don't want to? You know why I want to be like Jesus? And Jesus was all about healing the wounded. He was all about saving to the uttermost. He was all about redeeming people from their difficulties. There'll be consequences. There'll be discipline. But don't stay. Get up and say, I refuse to let the enemy tear down God's honor. I'm going to lift my hands and my head. And I'm going to say, yeah, I was that guy. But God washed me and he cleansed me. Hallelujah. And he gave me another opportunity to be used. Praise God. A heart that is in pursuit of God's glory nurtures resilience because it releases one from being inflated by triumphs or dismayed by setbacks. I'm pursuing God. I'm pursuing God. I'm nurturing a resilience. And that resilience, it's going to release me from being inflated by triumphs. 
I'm not going to get the big head because something good happens because I know there's another day and another day could be a failure. And so I'm not going to get the big ego or the big head because of triumphs and what God does in my life. And neither am I going to be dismayed by the setbacks. I'm going to have a godly patience that comes from every single day, every single day. God examine my heart. I want to make sure I'm keeping my heart with all diligence because out of it comes the issues of life. They're going to be setbacks. They're going to be difficulties. There's going to be failures and there's going to be victories. Don't get too caught up by either one. Just have a resilience that says every single day is an opportunity to be involved in God's kingdom. It's a good day. It's a great day. I'm going to be used of God today. Praise God and ultimately I want to draw people closer to Jesus Christ. Amen. As we lift our hands and as they prepare to sing this morning, let's make this entire sanctuary a place of altar in which we ask God today. I want to defend your honor. I want to do the right actions, but God, I want you to examine my heart. I want you to do an operation in my heart.